Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. I was approached by one of our men in uh, the Friday morning Bible study that I, that I lead this past week. And the study had ended and he came up afterward outside and um, I could see that he was pretty broken. Uh, and he was pretty teary-eyed, and he wanted to talk to me. And he gave me permission to share this. And I just asked him what was happening, and he said, um, he said, I was just diagnosed with lymphoma. And so I quickly gathered the guys that were leaving, and I said, hey guys, we gotta pray. Come on over here. And so we just lifted him up and we prayed. About an hour later, uh, I had left the restaurant, and it's an early morning Bible study, so I go for a run at a little forest preserve about a half mile away, and an hour later, I ended my run, and I, I saw a guy I hadn't seen in a few years, and uh, I asked him how he was doing, and uh, we were talking, and one of the first things he said was, I have stage four cancer, and I've been given one year to live, and I'm at the end of my year. There are many things in this life that are completely unexpected. And there are many things in this life that we are just not prepared for. These are two men who love the Lord, two men that love their wives and kids, two men that are committed to their God, and their lives have been turned upside down with unanswered questions, unforeseen circumstances, and sadly, in many ways, undeserved hardships. Life at times is hard, very hard, and we find ourselves asking, why? Why me? Why now? Why this mess? What's going to take place? And when you're stuck in the middle of a mess, that's when our hearts just pound and our hearts race and with fear of the unknown. And, and that's when our minds, our minds just swirl in this, this haze of confusion and doubt and, and worry. And that's when our souls, our spirits just kind of sink. We sink in discouragement, and honestly, we can sink into a very deep depression. They just sink. It looks like there's no way out. Don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to make it, and is it even worth it? Well, what do you do when you're stuck in the middle of a mess? And we've all been there, and we know people that are there, and we'll be there again. We're, today, we're going to continue our series, Your Mess Matters. And your mess does matter. Do you know why? Because you matter to God. Even if it seems like you don't matter to anybody else, you matter to God. And your mess matters to him. And uh, last week we saw three young men who are stuck in a mess. They've fallen into a mess, actually thrown into a mess, a hot mess. They're in a really hot mess, literally. And uh, because of the foolish decisions of a foolish king and slander and gossip of hateful enemies and the arrogance and anger of an unreasonable leader, and these are men of integrity, three young men of integrity who've done nothing wrong, who've done everything right, and where does it get them? Fired from their jobs, facing the death penalty. And we see them in Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 3. We know their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We best know them by their Babylonian names, their names of captivity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
When we last left our heroes, they were refusing to bow and refusing to serve and worship this 90-foot gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. And the king is now in a rage, the most powerful king on the planet. And he's ordered this furnace heated seven times hotter. He has the best of his warriors cast them in and they all die. Verse 23 of Daniel 3. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. And now we pick up and we see the rest of the story. Starting in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. There's some very important lessons, important truths, things that we need to remember in the middle of our mess. And here's the first one. God is in control. God is in control. Say it with me. God is in control. Say it to the person next to you. They need to hear it. God is in control. Say it to the person on the other side of you, in front of you, behind you. God is in control. Listen, he is in control no matter how big your mess, no matter how bad your mess, no matter how unexpected your mess, no matter how unfair your mess, God is in control. God is in control no matter how hurtful, no matter how painful your mess. God is in control. I want you to understand, God is in control, not the king. God is in control, not your doctor. God is in control, not your ex-spouse. God is in control, not the governor of a state. God is in control, not the president of a country. God is in control, not any political leader. Your God is fully in control. And this man jumps up, dumbfounded, shocked, this King Nebuchadnezzar. He's just watched them fall into this blazing furnace of fire and with a smile of cruel satisfaction on his face because he's finally rid of them. And he's sitting at a safe distance, listening. He's listening for the screams of pain, waiting for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to go snap, crackle, pop. And he hears nothing. Nothing. And then he sees something. What does he see? He sees four, not three. He sees them untied, not bound. And he sees them walking, not burning, not suffering, and not dying. Why? Because God is in control. He always has been. He always will be. And in the middle of your mess, you need to remember that. My God is in control. My God is sovereign over all. Just, just read the book of Job if you've forgotten that. Just pick up Genesis chapter 37 to the end of the book and read about the life of Joseph if you've forgotten that. Just pick up the Psalms, like Psalm 2, where we have God's response to the power of the nations. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven, what? He laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Why? Because God is in control, not puny men. Psalm 115. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. God is in control. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God is in control. God is still on his throne. God rules and reigns from heaven over all. Important to remember this. Hold this truth, dear, when you're in the middle of your mess. My God is in control. Secondly, God is with you. 
He's right there in the middle of your mess. Didn't we throw, I mean, he's checking his math here. Didn't we throw in three? What, what the, I see four, what's going on? Child of God, you're never alone. You have never been alone. You will never be alone. You are not alone. No matter how big your mess is, you're not alone. No matter how bad things are, you're not alone. No matter how unprepared, no matter how unfair the mess, no matter how painful it is right now, no matter what you're facing, you are not alone. No matter how badly outnumbered you are, you're not alone. No matter if there seems to be no way out, you are not alone. And you're never alone no matter how you feel. Because sometimes I don't think and I don't feel God is close. Sometimes it feels like God is distant. Sometimes it feels like God must not care. Sometimes I just don't feel his presence at all. R.C. Sproul put it this way. I don't always feel his presence, but God's promises do not depend on my feelings. Amen. They rest upon his integrity. And his integrity is found in his word. Treasure the promises of God. Treasure the word of God. Treasure the integrity of God. And you hold on to that. I want to give you seven things not to forget, and I pray that these will sink very deep into your soul and you will never forget them. Here's the first one. He will never abandon you. You're not alone. See, God never goes AWOL on his children, absent without leave. As a matter of fact, God never goes absent. You're never without God. Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you, period. He will never leave you nor abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love the reminder of the old poem turned into a hymn, 1787. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. That soul upon Jesus, that soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, say it with me, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. He will never abandon you. Second, he is always with you. He'll always be with you. Matthew 28, 20, the solemn promise at the end of the Lord's ministry before the ascension. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Never abandoned, always with us. How about this one? He will finish his work in you. He's not done with you. Philippians 1, 6. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, when you got saved, when you gave your life to Christ, he's going to carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When your faith is made sight, God has not forgotten you. God has not given up on you. You are not alone. He's not done with you. Next, he will walk the darkest valleys with you. The darkness of danger. The darkness of disease. Yea, even verily, the darkness of death when it comes. The most frightening times in our life, Psalm 23. Even when I go through the darkest valley, that valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil or danger. Why? You are with God me. You're not alone. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another song. There's another in the fire standing next to me. I'll count the joy come every battle because I know that's where you'll be. You're with me. 
in the deepest, darkest of valleys that I go through. God, you're with me. He'll never abandon, always with us, finish his work in us, walks the darkest valleys with us. Next, nothing can or will ever keep him from loving you. We've all seen those children that have gotten separated from their parents, whether it's at a park or a mall or a carnival, and the kids are just wandering around and they're crying and our hearts go out to them and it's sad. I have, I remember, um, let me just preface it this way. I did a really bad thing 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago. It was a long time. I've learned a lot of lessons, okay? My two youngest sons were three and one years old at the time. And um, I had to run up to the Fox Valley Mall, run an errand there, wanted to get in before the store closed, had to return something, would only take a few minutes. So I had the two boys with me in their car seats, asleep in the back, okay, one-year-old, three-year-old, and it was a snowstorm. So I'm going all the way up there. I get to the store. They're about to close. Do I really want to get the kids out and take them in the store? It's about to close. Well, I get there in time, and it's snowing really hard. And so I just left them in the car because I'm just running in the store real fast, and it's snowing really bad. And so I go in the store. I return when I need to return. I get in in time. I come back to the car. I lock myself out of the car. The car is running. I can't get in the car. I'm banging on the window trying to wake up Weston, who's three, because I know he can open the car. Nothing. They're sound asleep. I had to call my wife. Oh, I had to call my wife. <laughs> it was not good, people. It was not good. You what? Oh, anyway, she had to drive in a snowstorm 35 minutes away to come up to unlock the car to, let me, to get me in there. I just want to tell you, first of all, let me just say this. Jesus and, uh, Joseph and Mary left Jesus for three days, okay? Cut me a break, okay? <laughs> let me just say this. God will never do that to you. God will never separate himself from you. God will never say, I'm too busy for you. God will never do that to you. Please understand that. You are never alone. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, nothing and no one, ever. Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. As it's written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Even if things get so bad in my life that I lose my life, I'm not without God's love. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are unconquerable, child of God, because of Christ's love. For I am persuaded. Some of you need to be re-persuaded. Some of you have been filled with doubt. Some of you need to be persuaded again. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You will never be without the Lord. You will never be without his love. Never abandon you, always present with you, complete his work in you, walk the darkest valleys with you. Nothing or can or will ever keep him from loving you. Next, he remains with you and incredible and in you. The Lord Jesus' words in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and be, will be where? In you. The moment you were saved, 
You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 1.13, sealed. He's not just with you. God is in you, the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of God. Our bodies are called the temple of who? The Holy Spirit. He indwells you. He's called the teacher. He teaches you. He's called the comforter. He comforts you. He's the one that intercedes for you. Romans chapter 8. When you are so broken in your life and you have no idea how to pray and you're beside yourself, the Spirit of God intercedes for you with groans too deep for words. You are never without God. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. You are never alone. Not only is God with you, God is in you. And lastly, he forever holds you. John chapter 10. Jesus said, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. You are so safe in the middle of your mess. You are so secure no matter how bad your mess you are in good hands, not all state, the almighty hands. That's whose hands you are in. Never alone. No matter how you feel, you're never alone. Well, who's the fourth in the fire? Verse 25. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. Some believe this is an angel of God, maybe Michael, maybe Gabriel. Nebuchadnezzar refers to him as an angel in Daniel chapter 3, 28. He sent his angel. Angels do serve and protect Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues him. Psalm 91, 11, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all of your ways. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, referring to angels, are they not all ministering spirits set out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? You have no earthly idea, nor do I, how many times angels have gone ahead and served us in some capacity. There's an entire realm that we do not see of angelic warrior being sent by God to minister to you who will inherit salvation. That's incredible is what that is. God is in control. So it could be an angel of the Lord. Could be. Most commentators, most Bible scholars believe this is the pre-incarnate son of God himself. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. It's called a theophany. A theophany is a visible appearance of God in human form. When the king said the fourth looks like a son of the gods, quite, quite literally it could have been the son of God. And we have examples all over the Old Testament of theophanies, God in human form. Let me give you a couple of them. Do you remember Jacob wrestling with a man, making his way back to the promised land? He's going to be confronted by Esau. And, and he meets a man who will change his name from Jacob to Israel, and he's begging for his blessing. Genesis 32, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. He answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob wanted the blessing. He held on, he begged for the blessing, and he got it. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen who? God, face to face. He said, yet my life has been spared. So he didn't see an angel. This was God that he wrestled with. We have an example of Joshua bowing. Before he enters the promised land, before the battle of Jericho in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua was near Jericho. He looked up, he saw a man standing in front of him, drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and said, are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied. 
I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in homage and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is what? It's holy. And Joshua did that. Joshua bowed in worship. Anytime in scripture you see somebody bowing to an angel, the angel immediately says, do not bow to me. I am a fellow servant. He does not say that. As a matter of fact, he goes on and he says, the ground you're standing on is holy. This is a theophany. Jesus Christ before them. And so the fifth or the fourth in the fire very likely is the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory pre-incarnate. Things to remember in the middle of your mess. God is in control. God is with you. Thirdly, God is still at work. Please don't think he's abandoned you. Please don't think he's given up on you. Please don't think he's walked away from you because this, this mess is too much for him and you deserve it anyway because of your dumb decisions. Please understand God is with you in the middle of your mess. As a matter of fact, God is a mess specialist. He's an expert in all things messy. He specializes in worst case messes and hopeless messes. Praise his name. You can't surprise God with any mess. We pick it up in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected. There was no smell of fire on them. God is at work in the middle of the mess. If God can work in this furnace, God can work in your furnace. God can work in your family furnace because things are starting to heat up with siblings or parents or grandparents or uncles and, and you know what? Relationships are, and bridges are starting to be burnt. God can work in that mess. There's a financial furnace some of you are in and your money seems to just be melting away and your job security is like going up in smoke. God can work in that mess. Maybe you're in a physical furnace and, and your health is just being reduced to ashes and you don't know what you're going to do. I want you to understand God specializes in any and all messes. Now God may not work exactly the way we want him to work. He may not work in that mess the way we expect him to work. Oh, but God is at work. He doesn't always rescue, though, as attested by the three men themselves. Remember last week in verse 17? They tell the king, if the God we serve exists, he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. He can rescue us from the power of you. But even if he doesn't, if he, if he does not rescue us, we're not going to serve your, your idol. We're not going to bow down to it. So, in other words, they were fully prepared to die. They were going to completely trust God to work even if the end wasn't how they wanted it to end up. We saw that at the end of Hebrews where some of God's people were stoned and sawed in two and died by the sword and wandered around. God still worked. God works. God does a supernatural work on behalf of these men and pulls them out of this hot mess and he uses the most unlikely people to do it. The same guy that ordered him in there is the same guy who orders him out of there, the king. And the king's anger now is turned to admiration. 
I mean, before he has this scornful verse 15, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? And now there's acknowledgement in verse 26, the most high God. Boy, did God change his heart. Do you understand what God can do with your mess? Your mess and God working in your mess can be instrumental in changing people's lives. Don't miss that. Your mess and God working in your mess is instrumental in God changing people. And by the way, people can change. I know sometimes they think, oh, they'll never change. You changed. God changes people. Hardest hearted people can change. The angriest people can change. The most stubborn, belligerent people can change. And I want you to get this. The catalyst for change started with their big, bad, unfair, unprepared, hurtful, painful mess. And the same, same thing can happen with your mess. God wants to use your mess to deliver a powerful message. God wants to use your test to be an incredible testimony. God is working through and in any and all suffering to change lives, not just change my life. Fiery furnaces, messes and problems, that, trials that you and I go through change our lives. But they also change the lives of people around us. Your mess isn't just about changing you. Your mess is also about changing others. Let God work in your mess. Let him change your life and let him change other people's lives. So what do I do in the meantime, in the middle of this mess? Focus on being a servant of the most high God. That's what you do. And that's what they're called in verse 26. You servants of the most high God. He calls them servants. He doesn't call them pastors. He doesn't call them missionaries. He doesn't call them professional clergymen. He calls them servants. Why? They were laymen. They had secular jobs. They were government employers, employees. Serve God wherever you serve men. No matter what your job is, you are first and foremost a servant of the Most High God, Christian. You're not first and foremost a carpenter. You're a servant of God. You're not first and foremost a teacher. You're a servant of God. You're not a nurse or doctor. You're a servant of God. You're not a CEO. You're a servant of God. You're not a postal worker. You're not a custodian. You are a servant of God, Christian. Serve Him first and foremost. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as, someone, as something done for the Lord, not for people. Whatever you do, you're doing it for the Lord. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So serve the Most High God without apology and without excuses, without capitulation or wavering. Serve the Most High God no matter what others say about you. No matter the mocking or the accusations or the attacks. Serve the most high God, no matter what others do to you, the unfair treatment in your family or your neighborhood or at work, public humiliation, public execution for these guys. 
and they're supernaturally protected and all of the king's leaders are eyewitnesses in verse 27. The satraps and the prefects and the governors and his advisors, they just gather around in awe and look at these guys. And there's no fire damage. The fire had no effect. No effect on their bodies. No effect on their hair. No effect on their clothing. They lived out the truth of Isaiah 43. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and the flame will not burn you. There's no smoke, no smell of smoke of the fire. They've passed the sniff test. I had a fire last Monday night in the yard. Oh, I just love, love having a little fire. And Don't you love having a fire fall? I mean, it's so beautiful and the smell of that and everything. And, but some of you have a special talent like this guy. Wherever you sit, that smoke just goes. It's amazing. <laughs> I want you to understand, they served a miracle-working God. And we serve the same God. We serve a miracle-working God. And Genesis 1-1 solidifies my beliefs in miracles. What's Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Man, if he can do that, he can do anything. If, if, I mean, he can part seas. He can send plagues. He can keep the sun from going down. He can multiply bread. He can raise the dead. Hello? He's a miracle-working God. And if God can, can do all those things, what's a little fire? Seriously? He can take care of whatever furnace you're in. But I want you to notice the precision of God's work in the fire. Do you notice their clothes are not burned, but the ropes that held them are? Verse 24 and 5. Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Verse 25. Four men not tied walking around in the fire. See, God has a way of using the fire of our trials to burn off what doesn't belong in our life and to preserve what does belong in our life. When I go through a fiery trial and a difficulty in life, you know what I often see? God is burning away my pride. And God is burning off selfishness. God is burning off bad habits. Do you realize that's what he's doing when you go through a fiery trial in your life? He's burning your pride. He's burning away your selfishness. He's getting your attention about your sinful habits and saying, I'm going to turn up the heat now because you're not dealing with this in your life. He burns things out of our life through trials and he gets our attention. Not only does he burn things away, he preserves things. He preserves humility in our lives when we're in a furnace. He preserves service. He gets our attention. Keep serving me. Your life on this earth is short. It's not about you. You serve me. He preserves closeness to, him, to himself. It's when we go through those very difficult times and messes and trials, when we draw closer to the Lord than any other time in our life. So he's trying to preserve the closeness to himself. And time in his word, we read our Bibles and we claim those promises. We start coming to church more like we should be when we go through trials. See, he preserves things. He purifies things. He preserves things. He also produces things through fire. James chapter 1. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various messes, fires, trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. See, some of us have forgotten that. And we need to know it again. It's going to produce endurance and let endurance have its full effect. Don't resist God working in you through your mess. 
Stop complaining about how hard it is and God get me out of this thing and start saying, God, what are you teaching me? What are you producing in me? Show me. Don't, don't, don't resist it. Let it have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans chapter 5, similar. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. We don't complain about how hard life is right now. We, we say, praise God, I'm going through this fire. Why? Because we know this fire, this affliction is going to produce endurance. And endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And so the fire not only preserves and purifies, it also does incredible things in producing endurance, longevity, toughness, and maturity, and completeness, and character, a depth of character we wouldn't have unless we went through that difficult time. And it produces hope, because now we're no longer hoping in the things of this world. We're hoping in God again, and in heaven, and eternity, and our relationship with Christ, and the things that matter. You go to Hebrews chapter 12 and we see God's discipline. Why does he do it? He brings about righteousness in our life and holiness in our life. God is producing things. See, God is, God is likened to a silversmith, a refiner in Malachi chapter 3. He will be like a refiner, a purifier of silver. You know what a silversmith does? He takes a crucible, that container, and he heats it up really hot and he puts silver in it to purify it. And he melts it down into a liquid. And he waits for the impurities to come to the surface and he skims them off. And he waits for more impurities to come to the surface and he skims them off. And he regulates the temperature very carefully so as not to destroy the, the, the silver. And he continues to do that until the silver is pure, until his job is done. And you may say, well, how does he know the job is done? Because he looks in the silver and he can see his reflection. God is not done with you until he can see his reflection. Too often God looks for himself in me and he sees too much of me. He sees my pride and he sees my selfishness. He sees my sinfulness and he sees the same thing in you. And he says, there's still too much pride in you. There's too, still too much selfishness, still too much sinfulness. We need to skim that off. He wants to see his reflection in your life. He wants to see you acting like Jesus. He wants to see you speaking as Jesus would speak. See, he wants himself reflected in your life. That's what those trials are designed to do. That's what that fire is designed to do. We've all heard the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you what? Stronger. Nah, there's one better. What doesn't kill you makes you more like Jesus. What doesn't kill you makes you more like the Lord. He's purifying you so that you act like him, that you talk like him, that you are more like him. Things to remember in the middle of our mess. God is in control. God is with you. God is still at work. And then one more. Focus on God's glory. Focus on God's glory. See, God's glory must be my goal when I'm in the middle of the mess. Not get me out of this thing, God. How long am I going to deal with this? This is unfair. No. God, how can you be glorified in this? God, how can I give you more glory in this? No matter how big and bad it is, no matter how hurtful and unfair it is, 
I must ask, how can God be glorified in my mess, in my furnace of affliction? Look at verse 28 through 30 as we end the chapter. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God's glory. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone, any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb. This guy doesn't mess around. His house made a garbage dump. For there's no other God who is able to deliver like this. And then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I want you to understand a few things here. In the middle of your mess, we want people giving God the glory. And that's what happens here. Praise the Lord. See, we don't want them giving glory to us. Oh, man, you're so tough. I can't believe you're making it through this. Wow, way to go. We don't want them giving pity to us. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. This is so bad. This is so horrible. No, that's just more attention for us. We want them glorifying God. We, John the Baptist said it best in John 3. He must increase, I must what? Decrease. And that needs to happen in the middle of our messes as well. So make your mess a message and make your message God's glory. Make your mess a message and make your message God's Glory, point people to the goodness of God in your mess. Point people to the faithfulness of your God in your mess. Point people to the word of God in your mess. Point people to the work that God is doing in your mess. So we want people to give glory to God in our mess. We want people acknowledging the work of God in our mess. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar does in verse 28. He sent his angel and he's rescued his servants. We want people to know God hasn't abandoned me. I'm in the middle of a really difficult time right now, but my God is at work. And let me tell you how I've seen God work. And let me tell you the answer of prayer we have seen. And let me tell you the strength that he has provided. And let me show you the verses that he has comforted with me with. Point them to the work of God in your mess. Give glory to God. Not only that, we want people seeing our faith in God in the middle of our mess. And King Nebuchadnezzar sees it. Look at, verse, look at the verse here. He's rescued his servants. They've trusted in him. They violated the king's command. And they've risked their lives. He sees their faith. We need to let people see our faith in the middle of the mess. They need to know we are servants of God. They see it in our actions. They see it in our voices. They hear it in our voices. They need to see we're trusting in God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28. Who trusted in him. They need to know our faith is more than lip service. Our lives speak volumes. Our actions convey the truth of our trust. Servants of God, they need to see it. We trust in God, they need to see it. We obey God. That's what he points out in verse 28. They violated the king's command. Why? To obey God's command. They need to know we are people of the word of God and we don't vacillate back and forth and we don't compromise. We hold on to the word of God. What was the word of God they were holding on to? Exodus 20, the first two commandments. Do not have any other gods before you, and don't you dare make an idol. Don't you worship or serve those things. Don't you bow down to them. They were servants of God. No matter what the culture said, no matter the idols of the nation that they lived in, be very careful to be a servant of God, to not bow to the cultural idols of our culture. 
to hold on to his word without apology and without excuse. Make sure you have a testimony for God in the middle of your mess. People need to see that we're following God's, God's word in the middle of our messes. And they were fearless for God, verse 28. And they risked their lives rather than serve and worship any God except their God. They offered their bodies as a sin. Notice they offered their bodies not to sin. We're not going to bow. We're not going to serve that thing. We are gods. Our bodies are gods. And if our bodies need to burn for God, so be it. We won't compromise. Men of courage risk their lives. And we want people changed by God. And this guy's changed by God. He changes the laws of the land, is what he does in verse 29. Completely changes it. Wouldn't you love to see the laws of our land and this country change for the glory of God? Wouldn't you love to see the laws of the land that honor God and honor his word? That's what we want to see. Live for God in the middle of your mess. And, and the attitude toward God is changed. He says, no other God who is able to deliver like this. Wouldn't you love to see the attitudes of people in this nation of ours change toward God? The laws changed. The attitudes changed. I don't believe the king came to faith at this point. I believe his conversion is recorded in the next chapter. But God is working in his heart. And he's changing. That's what we need to pray for in our own leaders. God, work in their hearts. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channeled water in the hands, Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. See, God is at work, even if we don't see it. God is in control. And the attitude toward God's children obviously changed. The king had just tried killing them, and now the king is rewarding them. And in a short amount of time, they experienced the rage of the king and the favor of a king. Proverbs 19, 12. A king's rage is like the roaring of a lion. But his favor is like the dew on the grass, and they felt both. They saw and heard the roar of that lion, and now they are experiencing the dew of his blessing on the grass, which probably included prosperity and protection. Finances increased, promotion of official responsibilities, maybe housing, living quarters, we don't know. We do know this. Those who honor God will be honored. Those who honor God will be honored. And the words of a prophet that came to the high priest Eli said just those things. For those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disgraced. Honor God, child of God, and he will honor you. Things to remember in the middle of our mess. What are they? Let's say them together. Number one, God is in control. God is with you. God is still at work and focus on God's glory. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Online as well as in person, just take a moment with the Lord. Would you give thanks to God right now that he will never leave you nor abandon you? Would you give thanks to God right now that he is always working in the middle of your mess? Would you give thanks to God right now that he is in complete control?
Would you ask God what he is trying to burn out of your life? What sin, pride, selfishness? What is he trying to teach you in the middle of the mess that needs to be removed? Let him work. Ask him what he's trying to produce in you. Righteousness, holiness, character, endurance, hope where it needs to be placed. Ask God to teach you and have his will and his way. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here today and you have never come to faith in Jesus. Please understand how much you are loved and cared for. That God came out of heaven as a man to die for your sins. To save you from your sins. And you may say, Scott, I'm so tired of my sin. I need God in my life. What do I need to do? In the quietness of your heart right now, sincerely, would you call out to the Lord? Just use words like these, Lord, I need you. I'm tired of my sin. Would you please forgive me of all of my sin? Would you please save me from all of my sin. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my sin. I place my faith in you alone. I can't save myself. I place my faith in you alone. Lord, would you please save me? Would you please forgive me? And I pray this in the name of Jesus, who makes it possible. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest's new beginnings, visit at harvest.church.